0: Hey, um, you, ever, you ever been around people that um, just get excited and get caught up in something? They don't even know what they're excited about? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny, because when I was thinking about this story, I thought about you. <laughs> Tom and another guy went to a train station with a friend. They were sitting at this train station, and the train was late, so they decided to go inside and have a cup of coffee. So as they were waiting for the train, they started to talk. They had some coffee. They started sharing stories. The next thing you know, they looked out the window, and the train started to leave. All three of them instantaneously jumped out of their seat and started running after this train. Two guys jumped on the last car, and they got on just in time. The third guy didn't make it. Third guy's standing there, and he starts laughing as he thinks about what just happened. And he's cracking up, and a guy that saw this said, Why are you laughing? You just missed your train. He goes, yeah, I know, that's not funny, but that's not what I'm laughing about. What I'm laughing about is I know I missed my train, but the other two guys just came to see me off. <laughs> they get, like, caught up in everything, you know, and you got to be careful what you're getting excited about. Well, in, in this session, we're all going to get excited, but I hope we all know why by the time that we leave. And uh, there's a chair, chair for one. Chair for one. There's a chair for one. You have to sit next to Al, but... Oh, it's a non-smoking section? Oh, that's fine then. No problem. Non-smoking? I like when they ask you to go to a restaurant. Non-smoking? No, I came here to eat. I mean... Oh, sure. Give me a pack. Anyway, in the 60s and 70s, Hal David, Burt Bacharach were familiar names um, to music lovers all over America. They were kind of the, um, well, Tom would know, they were like the Rodgers and Hammerstein of the 30s and 40s. Um, Well, Burt Bacharach and Hal David were that of the 60s and 70s. And they wrote a ton of songs, and some of them were, um, you may remember them, Uh, I'll Say a Little Prayer for You, Close to You, One Less Bell to Answer, the Academy Award-winning song that was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. They wrote all those songs, but there was one song that they wrote that ties into what we're here to talk about, and as they wrote a song, and it was called What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. It says, uh, in, in fact, the lyrics go, No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain, because there are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last, until the end of time. No, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And uh, it's no different today than it was in the 60s and 70s. The only problem that we found is that the 60s and 70s had a concept of what love was all about, And uh, there was a selfish form of love that we still see in existence today, and that's the form that says, you know, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, and we'll pretend that it's love, and it really isn't. Um, It's just, you know, it's business, so to speak. Uh, It's a marker system. You do this, I'll do that, and we'll call in our markers, and we'll do all that kind of stuff. And and yet we also saw in the 60s and 70s, uh, especially in the early 60s, this so-called sexual revolution that tried to have everybody convinced that if you have sexual relationships with one another, that that somehow is is love. And uh, we've seen the consequences of that in our society and the devastation that occurred because of it, and that can't be love. But what this world needs, what every one of us individually need and as a society, the greatest need every one of us has is for love but the kind of love that only God has to offer. And it's different than everything else. And John went into that last week. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at it. In First John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. But in this particular section, he talks about a thing called perfect love. And there's a, that's a far cry from what I would consider all the imitations in our society would be imperfect love and, in fact, not love at all. So as we go through this, we're going to see that God's love is perfected in each of us. And that perfect love is something we can now know and experience. And it's not a love that originates in ourselves, but it's a love that's sourced entirely in God. And that's what he started to share with us in the first, well, in first, uh, verses 7 through, uh, through 11. And now he continues on with the same theme, but a little different twist. And, uh, and I think when we get a handle on this, that we'll all leave here excited about something and know what it is, you know, and we're not going to jump on the train just because someone else is running for it. And it says uh, in verse 12, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. ...and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us... ...that we may have confidence in the day of judgment... ...because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear... ...because fear involves punishment... ...and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar... For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. In this particular section of the Bible, John goes in to explain this whole different radical concept on love. And it's a love that originates in God, and it has to do with becoming perfected. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But in order to save money, um, there was a, a college drama class that purchased only a few scripts of the play. And what they were trying to do is cut down on the cost of reproducing all of these scripts and giving them to all the members of the cast. And so what they the thought they could do is they took the, a few a few copies of the script, they cut out each one of the parts, and they gave it to each of their prospective players. And so after they handed out all the parts, they sat down and they began to rehearse this play. And as you can imagine, guess what happened? It was an absolute disaster because they gave each one of them their 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 lines, And they missed their cues. They didn't know when to enter, when to exit, what the concept of the whole play was about. And so finally, out of frustration, the director said, Listen, don't any of you say another word. Sit down for a second. I am going to read you the entire script. Just sit down, don't say anything, and just listen until I'm finished. So he read the entire play. And they all sat there. They listened. They didn't say a word. And after he was done, one of the cast said this. So that's what this is all about. So that's what this is all about. Have you ever been reading through the Bible and kind of do one of those? Man, that's what this is all about. Now I understand. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is, and this is why it's so important to understand, that we have in our hands the complete Word of God. It is finished, it is done, it is complete. Because if you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see that God already gives us the end of the play. We know how the play turns out. And so why in the world would we need any other revelation that we would throw in there somehow in between when God's already given us the beginning of everything and he also gives us the conclusion the play is complete in its entirety and we can see how it turns out. But as you understand the script and understand how the ending fits you also begin to see as i do what my part is and what my cue is when i enter and what i'm supposed to do and when we'll all exit it's a wonderful thing and you start to read it and you go whoa now i know what this is all about this all makes sense and so as john goes through in first john in this particular chapter what he's going to help us to do is see that everything that he's been trying to tell us about love makes sense He says that love has been perfected in us. The word that's translated perfected or perfect is used 117 times all throughout the New Testament. And here's the um, the other translations or the other interpretations. um, Concepts such as ripe fruit, adulthood, a goal that has been achieved, something that has come to fulfillment. And that is what he's trying to tell us when we talk about perfect love. It is a goal that God had that has now come to fruition or completion. It is fulfilled, and that's what perfect love is. So as we go through this, what he's saying is that the goal of love has been reached or fulfilled or achieved and matured for us positionally when you invite Jesus Christ into your life. That goal is then achieved or become complete, and it's perfected in us Only when we've come to know him. And that's what he's been trying to tell us all through here. So if you look through there, that's why it says in verse 13, by this we know. He goes on and says, and again, he says we may have confidence or we may know. Over and over again, one thing that John and the word of God wants to get very clear is that God does not want any of us to ever doubt anything about what he has to say. He doesn't want us to doubt our relationship with Him. He doesn't want us to doubt what what eternity holds for each one of us who have come to know Christ. He wants us to know about the judgment that's coming up. He wants us to know about being judged for our works here on earth. He wants us to know about everything so that we are without excuse in the day where as believers we're judged for our works but also there's another judgment, the great white throne judgment for all those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ and their works will be what condemn them as far as God is concerned. And so He doesn't want any of us to be uninformed, he spent a lot of time to get this for us. So as we go through this, we're going to see that perfect love is going, to give, is going to be demonstrated in our lives in four specific ways. And we'll go through each one of them. But the first thing he says is that perfect love demonstrates that God abides in us. And this is real important because we've already come to know that this type of love, God's love, isn't something that we can generate on our own. It's not a matter of you know reading the right, writing the right lyrics for a song or, or listening to the right music or reading the right books or even going to a marriage seminar or whatever, and that's all well and good. But the only thing that a marriage seminar can do is tap into the love of God that should be in, within each one of us and allow us to express God's love to one another through ourselves. If it has to come from the outside, then we need a seminar every other weekend because the reality of it is that raw, raw pep talk wears off in a week. But God's love is eternal, and it never wears off. So we always have the source within us, if we've come to know Christ, to love one another as God intended it. And so he says in this that perfect love demonstrates that God abides in us. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There are three things that he breaks out. And uh, the first first thing is that he tells us that we have a problem. He says, no one has ever seen God. We have a problem. And this is fascinating because when you read through this, you kind of go, wait a minute. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What's the problem that he says? No one has ever seen God. There's a problem as far as love is concerned, and that is the world that we live in. This past week, I had an opportunity to talk to a guy who doesn't believe that God exists. And as we sat and we began to talk, here's what he said. He goes, Chuck, look around you. Look at the world that we live in. Look at the wars that are going on. Look at the famine. Look at the disaster. Look at the crime. Look at the hatred. Look at the hate crimes that we now see coming again in our society. Look at at what we have around us. Pick up the paper. Listen to the news. Tell me what's good going on in our society. I don't see the evidence of God's love if he supposedly exists. I don't see the evidence of God's love in our society. That's an excellent observation. What would you say to somebody who said that? Huh? Oh, you're not looking hard enough. Yeah, well, maybe you've got to look real stinking hard, I guess, is the problem. And I know, the, I know all the, you know, the, the, the answers. Oh, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. Go outside and look at the stars. Look at the, look at the universe. Look at what God has made. Oh, you know, in Romans chapter 1, it says that you know, the invisible attributes of God are seen all through everything He creates. You know what? And I'm not knocking any of that because that's all true. And that's right. And You've got to point Him in a different direction. But He made an observation that I appreciated. And that is what He's saying is, I can't see God. Good point. You know why it's a good point? Because the Bible says that He's right. He can't see God. Huh. It's going to all be fun as we go through this. But he can't see God. When's the last time you saw God? Huh? I had that guy, I told you about the men's seminar, who said that, you know, he takes Jesus with him everywhere he goes. And now I thought that was, you know, that was good. Uh, But then when he said that he leaves him in the car sometimes, I got real concerned about the direction that the conversation was going. But uh, but the reality of it is, is that... uh, i haven't seen god what do you say see we got a problem here and the problem is no one has ever seen god which is interesting john chapter 4 says that you know god is spirit those who will worship him will worship him in spirit and truth the reality of it is is god is spirit that his presence fills the universe but the problem is that we can't see it. We can see the evidence that he exists. We can see the work of, work of his existence or the evidence of his handiwork. We can see all that, but we have not and we cannot see God. So what do we do as we go through this? In fact, you know, God is invisible. The problem that we have, we can't observe him directly to be able to tell somebody, here he is, he exists. Exodus 33, 20, God said this, hey, no one shall see me and live. No one has ever seen god in his essence all throughout scripture we're given pictures of who god is we have what's called theophanies those things where god had uh, manifested himself in certain ways and as as we go through it it begins to make a little little more sense but the problem is it says how is anyone in this world supposed to see god if no man can see god what's the answer well look at your text No one has beheld God at any time. What? How are people going to see it? How are people going to see God? Oh, look. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made perfect or complete in us. And that's when I gave it one of these. Now it makes sense. This makes sense to me. Because... God is invisible. We will never be able to point anyone to God. They will never be able to see God because even if they did see God, they'd die because no man can see God and live. Okay? Are you following this? This isn't that tricky. But I wouldn't know it by what I'm seeing right now. (laughs) Follow this through. How is anyone going to see God in the world that we live in? Through our love for one another. Whoa! That's why Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Are you following this? See, I know what some of us are, to, to dwell above with saints we love, that'll be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, ha, that's another story. You know, that's kind of where it is. Right? You follow that? See, when I'm talking to this man, the only thing that he'll be able to see as far as God is concerned is God's love through me. See, I experienced God's love in my life when I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, right? Now, the expression of love through me is the only visible sign that this world will have to know that God is real. And it's an insult if somebody says to you, show me evidence of God's existence in this world. Because what they should be seeing is God's love through each and every one of us. See, when you're different, when you love as God loves, you're going to be different than the rest of the world. We already saw that. You know what I'm saying? And they're going to look at you and they're not going to understand that you are God's ambassador, which Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent God. you know, oftentimes when ambassadors go to foreign countries, they never come You know, those people in that country that ambassadors go to rarely, if ever, set foot in our country. That's why Europeans think so lowly of Americans. Not because they've ever come here and experienced the hospitality of Americans, but the only thing that they see are tourists who go to their country representing the United States, and therefore every tourist represents America, and every American must be like the tourists that they see. That's why it's so important whether you represent Jesus Christ or represent the United States or who it is that you represent, that you treat people with respect and dignity and courtesy because you represent more than just you. You represent something else that they think you represent. Therefore, as ambassadors to Christ, we are to love the world that we're out there in because this world will never see God. The only thing this world will see is God's love through us. And then I start thinking, hey, this all makes sense. That's my cue that's where i come into the play that's what i'm supposed to be doing because i already know the end and now i just need to know what i'm supposed to be doing while i'm here until we get to the end right i know if i die i'm absent from the body presence of the lord so i know if he calls me home today that's where i'm going to be my confusion isn't where i'm going because i already know that that's not what i'm confused about what i'm confused about is is where do i come into the play And when the script is read and you know the finish, then each individual actor already knows where the thing's heading. They're not confused about the ending anymore. They're just confused about their role. Then I smack myself in the head and say, That's my role. That's my cue. I come in now. And what I do is I demonstrate the love of God that I have found in Jesus Christ. And I demonstrate that same love to people that I come in contact with, no matter where it is. Isn't that wonderful? So this isn't just some Sunday-to-Sunday thing. This isn't a Sunday-to-Sunday or or, or a Wednesday night thing or a Bible study night thing. This is all-inclusive. God's love isn't contained or confined in some little box. His love is perfected in us because no one has ever seen God at any time and lived. So the people around us have to see God in our life, and that's the perfection that's needed. The goal of love is reached when God and His love enters our hearts when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, and then it is fulfilled. In fact, the, this, uh, the, uh, the perfect tense indicates that love is made complete, meaning that at one point in time, love enters our life in the, in the, in the, when we ask Christ to come in, and then it is perfected in us or continues to love in us and through us. Do you follow this? This is critical. This is, this is, this is the essence of what perfect love is all about is that as we come to know Christ, he loves at that time and continues to love, and that's why his love is perfected or made complete in us. And the last thing is that we have proof. He says we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. You follow that? little history lesson. This will blow your mind. This is unbelievable. I can't believe it the more I think about it. Look what he says. We know that we live in him. We can be confident that we have a right relationship with God, that he lives within us because he has given us of his spirit. This is unbelievable. In Genesis, we see that God walked with man. He walked with Enoch. He walked with Abraham. We see that he walked with man. From the period of time from the, the book of Genesis to Exodus, we see that in Exodus, the glory of God came to dwell among men. You follow this? And in fact, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary, Exodus 25.8. God says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. At one point, God walked with men. And then he said, I will dwell among them. Are you following this? But the problem that the Israelites had was that they sinned and because of their sin and there's a history of this, this is a repetitious thing a problem that they have but because of sin the glory of God departed from them in 1 Samuel chapter 4 we see that God's glory departed from the midst of Israel and and withdrew from them all right follow this please please follow this because then he used David to restore and Solomon to restore the temple so that the glory of God could come and dwell among them again all right? You follow this? They sinned again. And Ezekiel, we see that the glory of God then departed from the nation once more. There is an ongoing situation and problem that God was well aware of. You've got your Bibles, turned to John chapter 1 because this is going to make... Hopefully this will help make more sense of this passage than you've ever heard before because it's critical in understanding what perfect love is. But in John chapter 1... The cycle continued on and on. God walked with men, then God dwelt with men. then the glory of God was removed from men because of sin, and it went back and forth over and over until finally the glory of God departed from Israel, and there was a silent period of time known as the 400 silent years, while well, God was preparing the surface of the earth for his final grand, if you want to call it, uh, act of the play. And that's why it says in Galatians 4, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Just at the right time, He made the right cue, the right entrance, and He came in, and it's the last act. And here it is in John chapter 1, and He says this in verse verse, um, 14. And the Word became flesh, and what? And dwelt among us. And look, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. And truth. We beheld the glory of God and the glory of God returned to the surface of the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Are you following this? Chapter 2. Look at Jesus said. Chapter 2, verse 18. It says, The Jews therefore answered and said to Him, What sign do you show up to us seeing you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? He said, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Do you follow this? Now, here's just, this, is, this is the most amazing thing. Do you realize that when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, that the Spirit of God does not dwell among men? Does not walk with us. But the Bible says that God's Spirit indwells us. You follow that? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said that, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? And then he goes on and says, So therefore glorify God in this earthly body. That the glory of God who walked among men and then dwelt with men and then lived within the temple, the sanctuary, his presence filled the temple, and they all knew that the, the significance of that, and they felt that when, the, when, when God's glory departed from them. And then God, in the person of Jesus Christ, his glory dwelt among us. And not only did he dwell among us once again, but in the final act he said this, when I'm dead and they crucify the Lord of glory that I will raise on the third day and and ascend back to heaven. And if I go back to heaven, I'm going to send my spirit to come and indwell each of you who put your faith and trust in me. Man, this is awesome stuff. This is unbelievable. I mean, to me, I don't know. I mean, you brain dead out there or what today? I mean, you can get a little bit excited. Maybe it's just so deep. You know, you never really pondered the significance of this. But man, I'm telling you what, this really puts it all into focus for me because I realized God didn't just dwell among us, and I realized what that man was saying is true, that he's never going to see God, because God is invisible and in His presence, though it fills the universe, and we'll be able to see the evidence of His existence. The greatest thing is that no one will care what you know until they know that you care. That'll blow people away. When they see you love them, and they see me love Tom, of all the people in the world, <laughs> and, and, and I'll even say that I do... Because I do, and I've told him that. He drives me nuts sometimes, and probably a lot of you too, but he just feels that's his call in life. But that's all right, you know. He's got that spiritual gift. And it's in 2nd Opinions chapter 12, if you want to read it. But, but, but I only don't, I don't really say that because, you know what? I would have never loved that guy. And there are a lot of people in here that would have never loved the person sitting next to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, marriage seminar coming up. I'd sign up. But, li- but listen to the point that he's making. The only way the world will know that God exists is to see God's love demonstrated and evidenced in each one of our lives for one another. We live in a selfish, self-centered world. If you don't do something for me, I'm not going to do something for you. But God's love says, hey, I initiate it. I'll come, in a- I'll come after. You know what? I- is-, is everything okay? with seem different lately. See, God's love goes out and initiates it. Oh, we don't sit around and say, oh, I'm just minding my own business. God's, God doesn't mind his own business. His own business is us. So he does mind his own business, I guess. But he comes after us and says, look, he initiates love. He goes out looking for us, seeking to save that which was lost. And we do the same thing. God's love is to be expressed through us if we've ever received it. And that's where the real problem is. And that's why what John's trying to get across is that in the, in the second thing, he says, you know what? Perfect love depends upon our confession of faith. There is no way that you can love God's way until you've come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Because as you receive His love in you, you will be able to express it through you. You cannot do this on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to love a guy like Tom any other way but the way God loves him. That's okay. That's what this is all about. And see, well, people say, well, how do you put up with stuff like this or that or the other thing or whatever? Hey, you know what? I can put up with it because God puts up with it. God's love is patient, 1 Corinthians 13. God's love does not take into account a wrong suffered. How can you forgive that person for what he or she did? Because it says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven me. It's easy to forgive others because I know how I've been forgiven. And, and as far as holding grudges, I don't hold grudges. Matthew 18 says you'll be turned over to the tormentors if you do. Just keep on forgiving. Let God be the judge and entrust Him who judges righteously. First Peter chapter 2, 18-22. So hey, it's easy to love as God loves. If you know God and Jesus Christ has come into your life and His Spirit is there within you, then you can love and it's not a problem. I don't even think about it anymore. It's natural. As natural as hate and as natural as bitterness... And as natural as envy, and as natural as murder, and as natural as lust, and as natural as everything else you can think of is, for a person who doesn't know Christ, that should be just as natural as it is for you and I who do know Christ to love as God loves. And that's exactly what he says as we go through this in 1 John 4. And he says, 14 through 16, And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John said, man, we saw it. We were with Jesus. We saw the way that he lived. We saw the things that he did. And not only that, Peter, James, and John saw the Shekinah glory of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw, in essence, the glory of God, but not in his entirety because they couldn't have lived through the experience. As it was, they were pretty shaken up about it. And if you remember, Moses saw just a partial glimpse of the glory of God, came down from Mount Sinai, and his head was lit up like, like a, a chicken at Chernobyl. I mean, this guy was, like, poof, you know. And they saw him coming down, man. He didn't even need a light to come down. He just kind of followed his head. He just, and, and, and they were, I mean, and they saw it. Can you imagine the glory of God? That glory, that same presence indwells every one of us who have come to know Christ. The wonderful thing is that, hey, guess what? We're not God. All right, let's get that straight. Because God indwells us does not make us God. And there's a lot of garbage teaching going on now that we are little gods because of all this but that is not true and nowhere taught in scripture you and i will never be god know this O israel and that god is only where's only one god and we aren't all little gods running around here on the surface of the earth kind of being amb- we are ambassadors for christ we are not christ okay so that ties into what we're saying and, and it says in verse 15 whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him well how do you get to know this love it's very simple. All you need to do is agree with God that Jesus is God in human flesh. You died for your sins, rose three days later to prove it, sits at the right hand of God right now, will come again to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. That's all you got to do is believe that, and it says whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us, that God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Did you see that? See, Perfect love depends on our confession of faith. You and I cannot come up with this love on our own. It is a love that is sourced in God himself. And the last thing, and the third thing, it says, Perfect love describes one who has boldness. He goes on to say this, By this, love is perfected within us. You know one of the most amazing things about God's love? It says it's perfected in us and that we have boldness or confidence. We can now enter into the presence of God with confidence, Hebrews tells us. But it also says this, before I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, I know this was very true of my life and, and, and probably true of yours if you had time to think about it. And that is that if I died, I was scared to death. I was scared to death to die because I had no clue what was going to happen to me afterwards and I wasn't looking forward to it. And I don't know if that's true about you, but the reality of what the Bible tells me is that God's perfect love perfected in me now gives me confidence and boldness that I can say with all assurance that if I die today, I'm absent from the body, present with the Lord, and I can't wait. Now, you can't just manufacture that on your own. That has to be the presence of the Spirit of God within you saying, Chuck, that's right because I said it and that's true. You can trust me. You can believe me. Don't even worry about it. And I also know this, that I'll never have to pay one ounce of the penalty of my sin because Jesus paid it all. Therefore, know this, there is no guilt or condemnation to those who are in Christ. I will never be held accountable for any sin in my life. Past, present, future. Now, if that's not something to get excited about, then I don't know what the problem is here, and, and I'll try to figure it out. But we're all going to give like urine samples or blood tests at the door when we leave. This is, un- I mean, think about this. You will never have to pay a price for your sin. Past, present, future, anything you ever do, Jesus died and paid the- all of the price for the sin. Is that all right? Is that exciting? Oh, good. Hallelujah. That's good to know. Oh, let me jot that note down. Boy, oh boy. But that's what it says. You can have confidence before God in the day of judgment. I will never be judged for sin. I will be judged for works. But that's where my cue is. That's where I come in. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're doing a good job. You're doing what you're supposed to do. That's okay. But you'll never have to worry about spending one day separated from God. There's no place called purgatory. There's no place called limbo. There is no unknowns out there. In case you do enough of this or that or people pray into heaven, let's get all this straight. You're either going to hell when you die or you're going to heaven and there ain't any place in between. There's no stopping grounds waiting rooms or otherwise places where you can hang out in the lobby and hope everything works out. There isn't. I don't care how many movies come out in Hollywood now to try to make you believe that, and you're not coming back again to try to do it all the next time better because it's appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. So don't buy into any of that garbage. You better get it right with God right now. This is your only chance. And he's long-suffering, he's patient, and that's why he hasn't checked you out yet. So that's what He says. And we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we're in the world. And this is what it says, that perfect love casts out all fear. I'm not afraid of being judged anymore because God's perfect love living within me casts out all the fear of judgment. I'm not afraid of that at all. And it's not arrogant or or cockiness that I can say that. It's to have confidence in who Jesus is and what he did. And there's a big difference between thinking I'm okay based on whatever my standards are or that I'm okay based on what God has to say. And the last thing is this, perfect love demands that we love our brother. And it's a great point. It ties it all together because look what he says. If anyone says, I love God, and it's easy to do that. Anybody can say, I love God. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. Easy to say, I love God, because we don't see God. We don't have to deal with God, but we have to deal with one another. Our big problem is dealing with each other. You know, dwell above the saints. Well, I'm great Live below the saints. No, that's another story. That's the whole problem. That's where the rub is because we drive each other crazy like the porcupine syndrome you know what i mean they're all freezing on a cold winter night and the only thing i can do is get cuddled up next to each other and they all get close to each other and they all start sticking each other with all the things sticking out of their back you know it's kind of the way we are but that's all right because he says if anyone says i love god yet hates his brother he's a liar you're a liar and he says this for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen how, how can you if you haven't loved your brother whom you have seen how can you love god whom you have not seen And he says this, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is not optional. You love God, then you love the person sitting next to you. You may not like everything that they do, but you love them for who they are because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the whole catch. And you know what? God loved them. Jesus died for them. Jesus died for me. And that's what bonds us and brings us all together is that we have one thing in common, and that is that we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace, and that's all there is to it. In uh, World War II, let me close on this. At the end of World War II, there was an American GI who was walking down the streets of war-torn London. And as he was walking down the street, he was looking inside, and he saw a cafe that was open. He went into the cafe, he, bought, he got a cup of coffee, and he bought a couple of donuts, and he sat there, and he ate the donuts, drank the coffee, and tried to relax as it was the conclusion of the war. He looked outside, and there was a little boy who was staring in the window, just a little kid, probably eight, nine years old, and he was looking in the window, and he could see that the child was hungry, that he hadn't eaten for a while, his clothes were all battered, he was bruised, and he was staring inside there, and his mouth was kind of drooling and looking at what was going on. Anyway, the American GI finished his coffee, had his donuts, and then decided that he would go and buy some donuts. So he bought some donuts to go, and he put them in a bag, and he walked out, and the little boy stood there as he walked past him, and the the GI walked by him. Stopped, thought for a second, walked back over to him, and he looked down at the little boy, and he opened the bag and said, Son, would you like a donut? And the boy reached in and he picked out a donut. And he looked up at this man, and he asked the most penetrating question that any one of us could ever be asked. But he was asked this question, and this man never forgot it. He said, The little boy looked up at him and said, Mister, are you God? Are you God? See, our lives either reflect the love of God or they don't. We're either a light in the world or we just contribute to the darkness. And what a wonderful story and illustration that is of the truth. When people see you, do they see the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ by the way that you conduct your lives and how you respond to their needs? That's what this is all about. That's perfect love let's pray our father we're just grateful for this opportunity once again to look at your word just to be able to see the script in its entirety to see this last act of the play and just to be amazed that not only does your glory dwell among us as was the case in jesus christ but now you tell us that your glory actually dwells in each one of us who have come to know christ God, what an amazing thing that is And what an incredible responsibility to know that we are ambassadors of Christ, that we represent you in a world that cannot see God. God, help us to take that role seriously. Help us to understand that everything that we do and everything that we say is a reflection upon the Christ whom we say we love. Give us a heart for people, the same heart that you have, Give us a patience for people, the same long-suffering and patience that you have. And help us never to take into account a wrong suffered, to be able to forgive and forget as you do. When you tell us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you've removed our transgressions from us. And we just thank you and praise you that everything that we can look forward to is because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And we just thank you it's nothing that we can do to earn or work for or try to perfect on our own, but that love is perfected in us as we just acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You tell us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, that we shall be saved. And we just thank you for that truth, and it's in His name we pray. Amen.